from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 93. Today's show is brought to you very kindly by our friends over at Backblaze. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. And Federico Vatici. Hello, guys. We are one week away from Connected Embrace. Isn't that going to be uh, beautiful? Is it? Is it gonna, it's about a week weeks. and a half. It's about a week and a half. I'm <laughs> rounding weeks, I'm rounding down because I'm really just too weeks. excited. <laughs> I mean, there's another week in between, but okay. It's like a week and a half, right? Because I'll see you, no. Federico, on, on Friday, so it's like ten days away. Okay, right. So I'm sure, but there's no Stephen in London. But then we'll see him like two days later. It's under two it's weeks. It's the same. Now. It's the same. connected embrace. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll call Stephen. Like we'll we'll FaceTime call him and we'll we'll put the phone in the middle of the both of us. It'll be definitely should FaceTime me in into the meetup. Oh yeah, we're gonna do that. Might try and get you one of those telepresence robots. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Have you rolling around place? Be beautiful. But yeah, we can call you in. We'll we'll put you on a little tripod and just sit you in the corner and put a little diet coke in front of you or something. It'd be nice. Be good. So you guys skipped over follow up last week. Yep. That was quite funny, actually. Just before the the show started, me and Federico were talking about the rundown, and I was like, should we just cut all the follow-up? He's like, yeah. So we just cut it right out. (laughs) So why even bother? Yeah, so we have a little um, follow-up backlog. Uh, So up first, uh, I wanted to point people to a couple of podcast episodes. If you are following along with the iMac a uh, series of stuff, uh, Simple Beep episode 39, we did a full history of the, like, all generations of the iMac G3. It actually goes hand-to-hand with the YouTube video I put up uh, about a week ago. And then just yesterday, we published Upgrade episode 91, which is a, a look at the original uh, Bondi blue iMac and kind of the world of tech in 1998 and what it came into. And uh, Jason had lots of good... Um, input into it because he actually covered the original iMac and he was you know he was working and and, uh, reporting and doing magazine journalism way back then and um, had lots of good things to say about it including like some fun stuff about how USB really wasn't a thing when they introduced the iMac and the iMac sort of made USB uh, a standard that people cared about so yeah even if you're not interested in the iMac stuff I think uh a big chunk of that episode of Upgrade is worth listening to just to hear how different it was to be covering technology in kind of the late 90s. Absolutely. Um, Just the idea that when the news broke about, well, when they unveiled the iMac, everybody was just called to come to a meeting later on in that day. There was just no urgency like there is now because there was a print deadline in like two days' time, so you didn't need to rush. There was no internet to publish it to. It was just really interesting to hear the difference. So I will go and listen to that, and it's uh, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it is. Uh, we also have a little Android follow-up. We actually had a lot of Android follow-up that was very much around Federico had a specific problem, and this is the launcher or the app or the tweak you can do. And And again, that's sort of the beauty of this ecosystem, of Android. But there are a couple of things that I thought were interesting that were sort of outside of that type of feedback. Uh, the first one was about the LED flash for notifications. So uh, on a lot of Android phones, there's a little LED and you can, you know, it will it'll blink. I think, Frederick, you made the joke. It was like having a Blackberry. I remember <laughs> my original Droid, I actually could customize the color for the type of notification. So I had like, I think like orange for work email, green for personal email, blue for SMS. Um, so you could just kind of see, and this thing would cycle through the colors without having to wake the phone up. And a bunch of people wrote in and said, hey, you know, you can do that on the iPhone, sort of. So in accessibility, there's an option for the iPhone to basically blink the LED flash on the back of the phone when a notification comes in. Which, you know, if you have maybe, uh, you know, you can't hear the phone or you can't feel the vibrate or something, it's a visual indication that the notification has come in. And it, it's definitely not the same as what Android is doing. Like, at least on the Droid, I think on the Nexus, the LED blinks continuously until you deal with the notification. The iPhone just blinks when it comes in. But it is a nice um, accessibility option if you if you need it. And it's definitely not for everybody. In fact, most people who wrote in said, it's here, but I don't use it. It seems kind of weird to me. But uh, it's there, and I think if, if people need it, then it's great that it's available. I feel like 
it's really different from Android. You know, I mean, you can you cannot really compare having a separate LED with the with the flash. Yeah, I, I feel like the flash is kind of like too much. The flash is way too aggressive and bright. Like yeah. it's just like let's just go insane while this thing's flashing around. Yeah, a few of my friends actually have the option enabled. I really don't like it. I think it's more, you know, elegant on Android. The fact that it's green and it's subtle, it doesn't, you know, flash all over the room. I definitely prefer the Android implementation, but, you know, you got to have a separate LED. So I, I understand why Apple doesn't want to do it. It is worth noting as well that this isn't just like a standard out-and-out Android feature. Like if the phone doesn't have an LED on it, then it won't work. And I know that sounds so silly, some Android phones don't have an LED on them. Like I think I think most of them don't anymore, actually. I don't know if my Nexus 6P does. It might, but I don't know if it does. I've never seen it. So who yeah. knows? It might be in there somewhere. Yeah. And didn't meet in the chat room uh, points us to a uh, idownloadblog.com blog post uh, where you can, from the Apple Watch, you know, you have the... Um, it's not really find my phone, but kind of like the ping my iPhone from your watch and... You can make it uh, light the LED up uh, from there as well, which I didn't oh, know. That's uh, it's pretty cool. So if you're in like a you know, I guess you're in the dark or something, and you want to maybe see your phone. Um, I don't know about you guys. Every time I lose my phone in the house, it's in between the couch cushions, so that wouldn't help me. But it's cool that it does it. Kyle's the gray is also this is this is great chat room follow up today. Confirmed to me that the Nexus 6P does have a notification LED. So it's there. <laughs> just don't know about it. <laughs> I don't know. I've never tried to look for it, so I didn't know it had yeah. it. But I'm happy that it does have it. I've got to say that the, uh, the just quickly going back a step that the Apple Watch thing where you ping the phone, uh, I love that feature so much, and it is a it's a fun joke in in our house here because someone will be in a different part of the house and you hear the sound go off and it's always funny because it means that even me or Adina has lost their phone um so it's always like a ah you lost your phone type hmm. moment i feel like i'm the only person who never loses track of his phone like how can you guys even lose a phone well or i might just leave it in another is. room you know it's just it's all over the place i don't know i don't carry my, i don't <laughs> walk around with my phone with me as much as i used to because of uh the apple watch mm. so because things are funneling in there i don't need it as much and plus most of the time now i have an ipad with me so they're everywhere yeah just any room you walk in there's an ipad waiting for you yep. on a on sort of like a velvet covered stand that works. anyways uh i en- i enjoyed last week's episode a whole bunch and i'd like to underscore something federico that that you're sort of your closing statement um basically that you know, using another platform or another system to round out your experience and your knowledge is a good thing. And so many times people are apt to judge something without using them or judge something based on, you know, just what other people say or even judging people on their tech choices. And we actually had some of this in our follow-up. I'm not going to call anybody out, but several people were like, why are you talking about Android on the Apple show? And I think those people clearly didn't make it to the end to your closing statement. Because at the end of the day, like being familiar with Android and what Google is doing makes you a better Apple reporter because you can, like you said, you can speak with knowledge of the entire, like the entire chessboard and not just Apple's pieces. And I think that's increasingly important as people, you know, use services from different companies. Not not everyone is using all iCloud stuff and no Google stuff. Surely there are those people. But a lot of people live, like the three of us do, in a mix of environments. And um, I think it was really well stated and uh, something that if you didn't hear it, I think you should go find the end of the episode and listen to it because it's, it's really well said. But, you know, looking at something that we don't use all the time, like it can be uncomfortable. And like I'm sure, Federico, you spent a lot of time setting the phone up and tinkering with it and trying to understand it. But I think it's a worthwhile venture because it will make your Apple coverage better. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like um, like it really comes down to maturity in a way to kind of know that it it's not really uh, a great way of living, I would say, <laughs> to just stick to a position and have like a blindfold and not look at any other opinion, any other, you know, feedback from different people, different companies. Uh, I, I, I feel like I'm a person, I love to listen to other people. I love to sort of uh, know why I'm wrong, if that makes sense. And I and I have my principles, I have my ideas, but I I I feel like it it's better to have an idea and to to change your mind because you've 
you're wrong than to never change your mind and be stupid and ignorant. <laughs> and I try to apply this uh, sort of Zen philosophy, if you will, to anything. And, and I felt like um, I don't want to be a cheerleader for anyone or any company. Sure. And that was the right thing to do. So, it, but I, and the overwhelming majority of our listeners, I feel like they appreciated the the choice, the episode, yes. and the the overall idea. The feedback was amazing. Mm-hmm. There's a few people who really didn't like it, but that's okay. That's yeah, fine. Let's just get one episode. It's fine. Yeah, you yeah. Know, we're not turning into something we're not. So, oh, she left throw his Chromebook out because I had a whole thing planned. I mean, I've got one. I bought <laughs> it for the it. show. Let's I bought do it for it. the show, remember? Chromebook show. Um, I just wanted to take a moment again to mention the Connected London Meetup. It is in a very short time. I'm not going to try and guess days again because clearly I'm not very good at that. Uh, but on June the 10th in London, me and Federico and a few other lovely people will be meeting up mm-hmm. um, at the Big Chill House in London in King's Cross. Uh, we have had an allocation of tickets uh, which are all sold out but there is a waiting list there is a chance that more tickets will go on sale so if you're in London and you're interested please go to the link in the show notes and you will be able to uh, get yourself on the waiting list and if you are coming we can't wait to see you there and uh, we'll have some more details come out in the next couple of days yeah awesome are there gonna be any surprises Mike um maybe you should you should you okay, should bring some some surprises yes there will be <laughs> Many surprises. <laughs> Super convincing <laughs> that you that you must be there in person to experience. Very nice. Okay. So we had a little mini topic this week before we dive into the the meat of the show. And listener Kevin wrote in and said, "Not sure if it's something you've discussed in the past, but how precious are you with your app layouts on the Apple Watch? So if you're on the watch and you hit the digital crown, you go to the funky." Uh, let's call it the honeycomb screen. I don't really have a better name for it. This little like uh, glob of circular icons. And you can actually go in and on the Apple Watch app on the iPhone, like tell it where each app should go in what may be the most finicky user interface ever designed by humankind. It's, a ter- it's just incredibly frustrating. And a lot of people, I think, I've seen people on Twitter and stuff, really like take great care in where apps go on this honeycomb. And for me, at least I don't ever really use the honeycomb and I can't, when I do, I can't ever remember where things are anyway. So I always end up just like flinging, flicking it around until I find what I want. And it's kind of made worse by the fact that if you add an app, you can't control where it goes. So like if you say that you download uh, a new uh, app that has a watch app, icon just goes wherever it wants to and then you can go in later and like tell it where to go unlike on the iphone where it just goes to the next open place there's not really a next open place because this thing is like circular in a way so anyways to answer kevin's question for me uh i don't i'm not precious about it things kind of go wherever they land what about you mike uh, well, initially, like everyone, I was trying to find the optimal app layout, right? I think that was when everyone was being really excited about it. Um, and I kind of settled on a row of uh, four icons. So all of the rows of my Apple Watch are four icons because that kind of gives you the the most you can see without having to move around too much, right? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't zoom, it, it doesn't hide too many of them when there's four. Um, and I have some organizational choices so that the apps that I do actually use are centered around the clock face so I can get to them quickly, but I take absolutely zero care over any of the rest of it. So like the surrounding maybe eight or so icons around the, the clock face are ones that I do tend to want quickly, but the rest of them, they can just go wherever the heck that they like because who cares? <laughs> it's terrible it's so bad it's so like unpredictable it drives me crazy i really never i mean i don't use the apple watch much but i never launch the the app screen um it's just when i do use the watch uh it's mostly the watch face and um, the notifications not even the glances just because everything is too slow either to use or to navigate and I feel like it's a it's an odd choice. Like the entire layout, uh, it's one of the weakest point uh, weakest points of the entire watchOS design. Uh, but I 
I never use it, so I really don't have many thoughts other than maybe the fact that I never use it is my thought, is my comment. So there you go. Do you wear the watch every day, Federica? I do. I just... <laughs> you know why I do? Uh, I I put it on. I, uh, I don't use it for timers anymore because of Alexa. I don't use it for Siri or anything else because it's too slow. I just keep putting it on for two reasons. It's nice, tells me the time, and maybe a third reason. I want to accumulate a bunch of data points about my heart rate and my steps. Because maybe mm. going forward, those will be useful. So I'm wearing it because it's nice, and because maybe in the future I will have all of this data for a better watch or a better health system on iOS. I don't know. It, it's nice, mostly because it's nice, you know? Yeah. I got a bunch of uh, bands, like the Milanese, the Sports, the Red One. It's very cool. I will bring it to San Francisco for sure, and it tells me the time, which is nice. Uh but yeah, not so many reasons. So I still mean that still remain to be the three out of the three of us, the one who uses the watch the most. Then I think. Do you actually do stuff with yeah. the watch? Yeah, every day. Like what? Uh, deal with like, notifications mainly. So like I'll you know triage email and stuff, and you know see the things that come in through today. Um, I have. Dew set up on it, and I use Dew a lot, and I add new actions to Dew uh, with some success uh, <laughs> for, throughout the day. That's something I do a lot. Um, I use timers whenever I cook, and I do those every day. Like, you know, I'm, I'm always using timers, uh, and that's kind of it. But those things are in constant use, and I am doing things with them pretty much for most of the day in all seriousness like the i'm using my watch for those things it seems like a very small group of things but that is like all day use of the thing so i am using it a lot i feel lost when i don't have it on mm. okay yeah that's nice uh maybe you are an early adopter <laughs> yeah one of those people yeah yeah i'm an early adopter that's me you're you're seeing the future today me and steven are just uh Having the hot takes from Again, the sidelines. You know, I I, I, rem I think it's always worth reminding that I have been a user of this stuff for a while, right? Like I was using the Pebble before and I worked out what the point of it was for me then. Um, and now I'm just in a situation where I have more functionality and can do more with it. So I'd already kind of worked out that this was what I wanted in my life over a year ago maybe two years ago actually when i was starting to wear the pebble so i'm kind of used to the things that i want a device like this to do and the apple watch does those and then a few more things but i'm hoping for some big change in a couple of weeks this episode is brought to you by backblaze the unlimited native backup solution for your mac and PC. You can sign up for a 15-day free trial with no credit card required at backblaze.com slash connected, as well as safely and securely backing up all of your most important files. Backblaze gives you the access to all of that data with their iOS and Android apps as well, so you will have everything with you no matter where you are, and they have a web restore tool as well to grab quick downloads of single files, right? So not only is Backblaze a nice little vault, a nice safe place for you to store all of your data, it is also a place where you're able to get to stuff, and I've done this, you know, I've used their app, I've needed a spreadsheet or something, like a number spreadsheet that's not in Dropbox, I know it's on my desktop, and I open the Backblaze app, and I can get it, and I can use the open in action on iOS, and then get to that data data i wouldn't have been able to get to otherwise but because backblaze has it it's all good backblaze has the ability to even restore all of your files by mail so let's say something catastrophic happens you don't want to have to download everything because that can take some time or you're not on a great internet connection you can buy a hard drive from backblaze they will put all of your data on it and fedex you that hard drive overnight and then just within 30 days you return the drive to them and they'll give you a full refund for the drive how awesome is that? So you can get everything quickly on a drive. Backblaze securely looks after over 200 petabytes of data and have restored over 10 billion files for their customers. Numbers that I can't even comprehend, but I know that they're big. Backblaze is a great offsite addition to local backups that you're currently doing, like to external drives and time machines. It is just another essential part of your backup strategy. 
There are no gimmicks or additional charges, and it's just $5 a month for unlimited, unthrottled off-site backup. Plus, if you're a developer or you need archives, you can check out Backblaze B2, Backblaze Cloud Storage, for half a penny per gig per month. It's an awesome deal. Connected listeners get a 15-day free trial by visiting backblaze.com slash connected. Make sure that you go to that so that URL, backblaze.com slash connected, so you can, they will know that you came to them from us and it also helps Backblaze to keep supporting the show, which we would appreciate. Thank you so much to Backblaze for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so whilst we were talking about Android last week, there were some rumors that came out about new MacBook Pros, and these have come from KGI, which, you know, it's always difficult to try and keep track of who the reputable rumor sources are. But I kind of trust the sites like Mac Rumors and 9to5 that when it kind of hits all of them, there's probably some fire along with that smoke. So I want to give a quick rundown of some of the things that are in this purported rumored device and maybe talk about if we think that they're interesting at all. So uh, thinner and lighter than the new MacBook Pros. I think we'd all kind of accepted that that was going to be the case. And it's kind of the thing that I think everybody would want. You know, thinner and lighter is always nice. Design cues taken from the 12-inch MacBook and we're going to get them in 13 and 15 inches, so it'll be replacing the current MacBook Pro lines. But this is where it starts to get a little bit interesting. I don't think anybody would have expected this. Releasing in Q4 is the current thinking. So they're not going to be out within a couple of months like we wanted, it would potentially seem. Um, it seems like it could be a long time away, but then when you start factoring in some of the other hardware features that these MacBook Pros are rumored to have you can see that maybe we're going to need to wait for a new version of OS X before these can be released. Otherwise, the hardware features aren't going to work. So we're talking about Touch ID in the new MacBook Pros. I think everybody wants that, right? Why would you not want Touch ID? I mean, I would love to not have to type in my uh, 1Password password anymore. Just use Touch ID for that instead. And also this thing that I think we're all kind of struggling to get our heads around a little bit, which is an OLED touch display bar, which will replace the function keys. So this is going to be a new thing for Apple's laptop line, where they will be bringing in a little screen that sits above the keyboard. Now, I've been thinking about this. They had a great discussion on ATP about this. And I think overall, the ATP guys were like, no, no, we don't want this. We want our keys. And of course, they want keys. Of course, they want keys. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who doesn't really care too much if the function keys still exist, I wanted Mm -hmm. to kind of talk about some of the things that I've been thinking of that could be good for this little display. So I thought maybe you could see notifications there, which might be kind of nice, right? You have this little bar, it's just an additional screen, and it just shows little notifications every now and then, just something to grab your eye rather than it being in the top right-hand corner of your your display. It just shows up above your hands. Could be kind of nice. You just glance down and see them. I was thinking some widgets, maybe. You could get, like, weather or something to pop up on there. Um, There could be, like, now playing information for music. You could have, you know, just little widgets that pop up and they would maybe start to live on this little second screen as opposed to in the uh, notification center bar. Um, I thought that apps could plug in for some specific controls. Everybody who is talking about this screen is talking about the uh, Art Lebedev keyboard. Do you remember that keyboard? The one yeah. that was all tiny little LED screens instead of keys. We, what? What? This is something from like maybe 10 years ago, and it was really popular on the internet. It was a keyboard that was a concept but ended up coming into existence where every key was a screen, a tiny little screen. So you could have... What's the name? It was made by a company called Art Lebedev. I think it was called the Optimus Keyboard. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, no idea. <laughs> so it, this was like the idea that if you had little LEDs instead of keys, you could change the keys to be anything. Mm-hmm. So my thinking around this was like, let's say, for example, I'm editing in Logic. I could set a bunch of shortcuts to that 
little screen that I could click. So let's say I wanted to use the fade tool rather than the select tool. Rather than me going up to the little option or using a keyboard control, I could just hit a little button that I can customize that would take me to a different function. Now I was thinking like imagine people that use Photoshop or Pixelmator or something like that and being able to change your brushes and stuff all on the, a little screen on the keyboard. So it just gives you the ability to have some more specific and customizable controls right at your fingertips than having to like move the mouse up. And I know this stuff doesn't necessarily um, like it doesn't save tons of time, but I think it's just a nicer overall experience for maybe people that aren't necessarily keyboard warriors. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's where some of this difference is, right? Like, I think people that want the keys, they just use keys so much. They use keyboard controls for everything. They use keyboard shortcuts for everything. But people that don't necessarily think that way, this could be a nice little addition. So, like, for example, on my uh, Wacom, I have some little shortcut keys. I have six shortcut keys that you can program to be anything that you want. And this is instead of me hitting uh, the keyboard commands on my keyboard. So I imagine it like that. Whilst these are physical keys on my Wacom, I could easily see them be on a little touch strip that sits above my keyboard and I can use it for different things. I like the idea of stuff like this. I think there could be some additional gestures. You know, like I imagine myself being able to pan around the uh, like my logic display in a different way. You know, I think there could be some interesting stuff here. Stephen, as probably the one that is most likely to care about function keys out of the three <laughs> of us, what do you think? Way to paint me in a corner, Mike. No, you're absolutely You are the most likely. You have 13 iMacs from like the 90s sitting around you right now. You are the old schoolist of the three of us. That's true. I mean, the, the thing that comes to mind immediately, and I said it on Clockwise last week, is the ability to feel them, and that's all about just how they uh, how they do it. Is if it's going to be a screen and there's still a physical key, or it's a touch screen. But you know, now you, if you're a touch typist, or if you're close to it, kind of how I am, you know, you can reach up and you kind of know know where you are. And if those aren't physical buttons, you know, it'd be more difficult. And if it is something where they change use based on app like you're talking about like if i'm in logic f6 does this but if but if i'm in finder f6 does that then you know that doesn't deal with like touch memory but it does maybe deal with like um like shortcut key memory could be a little it's like another layer on top of keyboard shortcuts like um command shift f may do something in one app one app that's different than the other so it's like one level above that and um but all that aside, like if as long as it's not a screen and it's some sort of like screen key combo, so I can still touch it and know where I am, I'm all for something being more flexible. I don't think you're going to get screen key combo. I don't think I'm going to. If either. they're doing I, this, it's just a little touch screen. It's not going to yeah. be something that has any click or tactile response. Right. In which case, it's going to take some getting used to knowing that I'm hitting the right place. But um, how often do you hit those keys without looking the function keys? Uh, I do, especially the media keys. So. F7, F8, F9 for iTunes, and then volume or F10, F11, F12. I hit those pretty often because uh, I listen to music all day when I work. And then the brightness keys. But, you know, the middle ones, like I couldn't tell you which one is expose and which one is uh, launch pad without looking. But do you hit them like without feeling them out first? You just know where they are and you hit the area. Yeah, I know where they are. Right. So I figure you would just learn the area. I think so. I mean, I think ultimately, yes, but I think there'll just be some adjustment period there. Um, the The bigger thing for me, as far as a plus for this, is flexibility for Apple. So, you know, I've got the Magic Keyboard here, but at home I have one of the old Bluetooth Slumline keyboards, like the one before this, with the AA batteries, that is paired to the Mac Mini that's under our television. And, you know, I use a Magic Keyboard at my desk, but if I go do something on the TV, i got to pick that keyboard up. And the like, it has, it's an older version, so it has like a dashboard button, like screen printed on F6 or something. That this one doesn't. And over time, as Apple has changed software features, the hardware keyboards haven't kept up, and so they sort of rev them and and adjust them as time goes on. And obviously, that's something they could change if it's just a light up screen, right? They could say, well, this one is now this, and there's no big deal. It's part of the OS update, so. I, from Apple's perspective, I can see how that flexibility would be welcome because they don't 
you know, like dashboard is basically all but gone and a bunch of people are still running around with dashboard keys like printed on their laptop and that's that just is what it is. And I think they would like to be able to change that as time goes on. What do you think, Federico? I feel like there's potential for, I'm thinking especially about the, the developer angle, to be able to offer an API and to let developers program the keys any way they want. And to sort of, if you don't imagine this as a, as a new keyboard row, but as a mini screen that is kind of separate from the main screen as, and it's docked at the bottom and you can put, you know, specific information about apps and, you know, like status updates or like, uh, I don't want to think about widgets because, you know, LOL dashboard, uh, but I'm thinking about, you know, like notifications or special keys and I'm thinking about the the the... the what you could do for in terms of localization, you know, uh, because not necessarily, uh, you know, the, 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 what, what an icon means for us in, 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 in the West uh, is also the best option that you can have in China or in India, maybe. So I'm thinking about that sort of process and how you could, uh, you know, change the, the visual aspect or the, you know, the, the meaning of a key uh, without having to produce, you know, tons of different physical keyboards. Uh, but I'm also considering whether that's going to that's gonna end up like uh, like the Force Touch API, which, yes, there's an API for developers, but it's, you know, they don't really use it. Uh, I mean, they do use it, just not, you know, revolutionary in that sense. I think all in all, the Force Touch is not being used right now. You know, like on all devices. I've, I don't know. I, I, um, I really disagree with the, with the people that, say that 3D Touch is useless on the iPhone because I use it every day all the time. It's not useless, but I just think that it's not really being adopted by all developers in interesting ways, right? There hasn't been a lot of, of interesting stuff coming around. Like, there's lots of peak and pop, but... And, I mean, that's not surprising. Uh, you know, when, when there's a new feature, that you always get the minimal viable product at the start and then you iterate on it. It doesn't really surprise me why... People were expecting all sorts of crazy stuff from 3D Touch, and you know, well, that's another topic. Um, I feel like for people like me, I would love to have a, you know, like a separate screen at the bottom. But again, I don't use a Mac, <laughs> so I can understand why some folks are like screaming and yelling and, you know, kicking their feet at the idea of uh, ditching keys, ditching physical keys, and having a separate display. So I don't know. I feel like it sounds awesome to me, but I'm not the pers- the best person to ask this because I work every day on a big touch display. So I'm sort of biased here. And uh, if Steven is upset, if the ATP guys are upset, sort of understand. It's exciting when you think about what you could do with the APIs, but I don't know. So there you go. I think that one of the hardest parts to kind of get our heads around is the potential release date of this thing, right? Like these two new features would need OS 10 enhancement. Are they likely to release a point update to OS 10, like a few months before the next version of OS 10 would come out to support these features? I don't know, because it feels like there would have to be some significant development for both of these as well. I'm sure that if there is an API for developers to plug into for this touch display bar, Apple might want to give a little bit of time to developers to put this stuff into action before the product ship. Yeah. When do you think we're going to see it, Stephen? I'm, I'm now that we know more about this machine, I I definitely feel comfortable saying that it is tied to the next version of OS 10 or Mac OS. If Jason was right, it's totally going to be Mac OS. I think it is. The, that's not to say they haven't done big things like mid-cycle, like um, the App Store and a couple other things have come later in the cycle of a version of OS X. But this is some big stuff, especially the Touch ID thing. And they are not going to want to to backload all that stuff into El Capitan when there's a new version right around the corner. And that stinks. Um, I also have questions about like if this cool keyboard thing is happening, then why did they ship a Magic Keyboard like six months ago? Like why didn't they hold until... The external keyboard could do it too. Why is there no retina display either? Like, well, that's that's easier to. I mean, that's USB. That's Thunderbolt three and USB C. Like, that's that's easier to write off. Um, now, if we get these machines and we still don't have external retina, then I'm going to be really sad. But the they've held the MacBook Pro for so long now. You know, I've got the one you can still buy today, and I've had it over a year. 
um, the one with the force touch trackpad. And it's fine, but they've held them for so long that the, the chipsets are really old now. And there's been a lot of trouble with Intel getting these, the, uh, Skylake machines with the GPUs Apple would assumedly want, uh, like shipped in bulk, and there are other vendors doing it now. Uh, it seems like Apple is or Intel has finally turned the corner on that production. But you know, if Apple has to wait on Intel, then at least they're using the time to do something interesting as opposed to just holding a machine that they can't release and then just revving it when it comes out. Like at least there'll be something more to look forward to than just Skylake. And I'm definitely interested in this machine. Uh, I would like to go back to a 13 inches I've said previously, and so especially if it's in space gray, please Apple. Please deliver in space gray. So I think it's good. I think it'll be an interesting machine. It's sad and it's kind of a bummer that it won't be this summer, I don't think. But I understand at least why they're doing it. Like, we're not going to get a new version of OS ten slash Mac OS in two weeks. Like, it's been the fall forever. They tie it with iOS. I think all this will happen in the fall. And it's going to be another year like it was a couple of years ago. What was it, 2013, 2012, 2013, where all of Apple's products released in like September and October? There was nothing else. It's a little bit of how this year feels, except for that new iPad. But uh, I guess it is what it is at this point. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a, a worthy upgrade, a worthy successor to the MacBook Pro. Marco said on ATP, like Apple really can't mess this machine up. Like it is the workhorse of the Apple line, uh, the Mac that line. felt like wishful thinking to me. Well, I mean, they definitely could screw it up. Like, they definitely... It is within their power to screw it up. Um, And hopefully they don't. But it is a really important machine. And I think that they are aware of that. But uh, I guess, guess as with all things in the future, time will tell. But I, at least for now, I'm super interested in it and uh, and anxious to see where where they're going with the MacBook Pro. In a world where iOS 9.3 exists, why could there not be... Um, a version of OS 10 that comes out before a fuller version of Mac OS comes out that has support for this. Can you say that again with the movie trailer voice? In a world where oh, no, iOS <laughs> 9.3 exists. Why? Couldn't? <laughs> From okay, the shadows. Okay. We get it, Mike. <laughs> you asked for it. You know, I commit. Worst movie ever. I mean, my, my guess with iOS, I think iOS 9 in general is a pretty interesting thing for, for a couple of reasons. One, they had the iPad Pro sort of mid-cycle, right? That 9.7 inch kind of came out in the middle. And I think the education stuff in 9.3 is really what forced their hand. They had to have that out at the time they did so schools could adopt it uh, over the summer, which is when schools do things. You know, uh, I remember when I, I did a lot of support for education customers right when I left Apple and they'd always be super annoyed when they rev the iMac in like July. It's like, well, you understand I bought these in March, right? Like you're not helping me, Apple. And I think the education is really why 9.3 shipped when it did. Uh, and, and I'm not saying they couldn't. I mean, they could definitely, what are we going, 10.11.5? 10.11.6 could drop in two weeks. It could have Touch ID. It could have support for this OLED bar. And, you know, we're just off to the races. But I just don't think it this late in the cycle. I mean, iOS 9.3 will be the middle point of iOS 9 on the yep. calendar. We're much closer to the end of, of OS 10. And frankly, OS 10 is not the most important OS Apple ships anymore. Mm-hmm. As much as it pains me to say, it's iOS. And so I don't see them putting the same sort of mid-cycle engineering push into this as they would with iOS at this point. I also think there are a lot less features that you can market in OS 10 now. So Touch ID right. will probably be one of like the big features of the next version of the Macintosh operating system. Right. So releasing it before what would be Mac OS, whatever they're going to call it, yeah, will kind of rip something out that they'll be able to put on a poster. Absolutely. And you know the the Touch ID in particular is a little problematic to me. It's going to come in the MacBook Pro, assumedly, and. Uh, new owners of the MacBook Pro, hopefully me included, will have that, and it's going to be awesome. But it's going to take time for that to filter down to the other notebooks. Like, assumedly, the MacBook will get it, but they just revved the MacBook. And so you're looking a year from now for the MacBook to get it, potentially. Uh, the MacBook Air is going to go away, or if it doesn't, they're not going to do anything meaningful with it. So I think the MacBook Air getting Touch ID is probably not going to happen. But then what do you do with the desktop users? Like, does that, where, like, have you guys thought about this? Like, where does the Touch ID sensor go on an iMac? So I have been thinking about this, actually. I think that if they're going to do MacBook Pros, 
on stage. They're probably going to rev the Mac Pro as well. If they rev the Mac Pro, they're going to have to introduce the new display, right? They feel like those things have to go hand in hand. I think if they do both of those, they will have a new version of the keyboard that has it in, which they can sell to everyone else. I think if they do those two products, yeah. they will do a keyboard with at least the Touch ID sensor in it. I don't think it's going to have the little screen on it. I don't think they're going to do that right now. Mm-hmm. I think that is going to take a little bit longer, um, and they might just want to keep it in the Mac Pro for a bit. But I yeah. think that the Touch ID sensor will be built into the Magic keyboard in some way. I don't know how you would do it. They'd have to kind of redo the keyboard. They'd probably have to stick something on the side of it, right? So it's a little bit wider. Get rid of the eject key. Put it right there. You know, th- there is the potential that it isn't circular shaped. Like, it could just replace a key. Like, it, th- I don't think that these uh, sensors have to be circular. I think it's just the way that they have been. There's, there is a possibility to just, like, replace a key with one of these things. My only issue with that is, and this is just my lack of understanding of exactly how Touch ID would work on the Mac, because right now it's based on the ARM, like it's on the ARM stack, not the Intel stack, which is, they're obviously going to have to explain that or how it works. And if someone has an idea, please let me know, because I just have trouble thinking about that. Could they just put another chip into it? Well, they could just have a tiny little, like A5X or something in it. Um but I don't know if they would put the secure enclave and stuff in a keyboard that could just like walk away. Um, you know, maybe they incorporate with the power button on the iMac, which is pretty easy to touch. No, that would be crazy. Uh, if that's where they put it. Also, don't put a sensor you're touching on the power button. You'll be turning your, your Mac off all the time. Right? Like you just reach around. Oh, no, I just sent it to sleep. I don't think that would be a good place for it. I think it is possible to put it on the keyboard. Like, you can't do anything with the secure enclave without the fingerprint. Like, phones walk away all the time. That's true. Or they uh, disappear on the couch, and you have to uh-huh. t- get your watch to find it. I mean, there's lots of questions here, and I think that they're all solvable, obviously, if Apple's thinking about doing this. But they're, they're, my big point before we got derailed, was that this will be another transition with the Mac where it's going to, just like it was on iOS, right? Uh, Touch ID showed up on what the 5S and then eventually showed up on the iPads and now it's kind of everywhere. We're just going to, we're going to live with this again on the Mac where the MacBook Pro will have it, assumedly. Uh, also, like we haven't even discussed like the same problem with where you put it on the keyboard is where do you put it on a MacBook Pro? On the 13 inch especially, there's not a bunch of like spare aluminum floating around. The 15 inch you got speakers and you could put it somewhere on the sides but well, i reckon it would be embedded in the screen the little oled screen uh right they'll put right. it there maybe um so yeah so i think either way we're going to see some design changes with these machines and these machines look the same for a long time i think we'll i think we will definitely see the colors i think we'll see the the space gray and the gold and maybe the rose gold um i think that those will be uh, successful actually I didn't tell you guys I, I don't know if it's since they revved them and like it's the old thing of people not liking revision a apple hardware or some, something has happened where i have seen like out in the world a couple of macbooks recently and both that i saw were the colored version not the silver so i saw a space gray and i saw a gold um just like in an office somewhere and i think that that will definitely be nice uh looking on the macbook pro like i said space gray all the way but I guess we'll see. It's you know, if you've already been waiting for a year for a new machine, what's another quarter really between friends? I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, there's also some rumors uh, in the past weeks. A lot of talk about Siri. Uh, Marco wrote a great piece which seemed to prompt a lot of discussion, which potentially has prompted uh, a leak of some description to the information. Uh, the information has this big article which is behind a paywall. Mac Rumors does a good job of summing it up. Effectively, what it's looking like is that Apple is has been building, so says the, the rumor that they have been building since before the Echo, of course, uh, a device that includes a speaker, a microphone as well that could be used to listen to music, uh, get news, so you could say like, hey, a high telephone, give me the news of the day and more. And also, this is also going to be in conjunction with Apple opening up to developers this uh, new API, which could be announced at WWDC. There are some further reports that say this functionality may be built into the Apple TV. 
expectedly, mm. I guess, another revision of the Apple TV as opposed to the one that there currently is. I haven't noticed any speakers in my Apple TV. I don't know if you guys have looked. Uh, I haven't seen any in there, so I expect it would have to be a new hardware revision. Federico, how much would you like your Apple TV to become your new Echo? Well, I don't know. Ask my drawer, because that's where the Apple TV is. So <laughs> He might hear you in I there. Guess. So speak up. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I feel like there's there's little point in having uh, the, the, the Siri Echo-like uh, device in the Apple TV. Uh, if only because one of the greatest, not maybe the greatest feature of the Echo is that you can put it anywhere. It doesn't have to be next to the TV or where your TV is. You can put it in the kitchen, you can put it on your nightstand, you can put it in the bedroom, whatever. doesn't matter because it's just a speaker. As long as you want to talk to it, as long as you want to hear music or you know interact with Alexa, it doesn't matter if there's a TV. It's a TV-free device. And the Apple TV is, yeah, of course, it's, it's a TV accessory. So... I feel like having it in the in the Apple TV with pot- with potentially quite a few limitations. Uh, for example, it has to be attached to a TV. Uh, it cannot be, I guess, a great speaker because of the t- smaller TV form factor, and you cannot do many things with it because uh, you people tend to kind of hide the Apple TV and these streaming devices, you know, that have to be attached to HDMI ports. They tend to kind of you know, hide them behind the TV or maybe inside of a shelf or a cabinet, whatever. Instead, the Echo is meant to be talked to, so it's visible, and it's got the LED light feedback kind of ring on top. And I feel like having it in the Apple TV would be too limiting for a good a good speaker uh, to listen to music or a good microphone and a good feedback system. So that aside... And also, aside from the fact that the reaction of some people to Marco's article was amusing, and by amusing, I mean, come on, seriously, uh, Marco didn't write that Apple is the new BlackBerry, but of course, there are some people, you know, those, uh, some of those uh, cheerleaders, they like to uh, always rush to defend Apple as if a big corporation needs these people to sort of uh, defend them. It's always funny. They go out of business otherwise, Federico. They go out of business if they don't... I feel like it's quite sad that we cannot have a reasonable discussion about this. And uh, and I feel like Marco raised some great points. You know, BlackBerry and Rim used to be at the top of their game, just like Apple is at the top of their game today. Uh, but maybe when the future is coming, you don't know the future is coming and eventually you're just too late but it's great to hear that apple is working on this stuff behind the scenes uh but keep in mind that um it's just a rumor at this point and you know we we don't know for sure that said i do think that if apple is gonna do this it's not gonna be you know like today they release an echo device and suddenly you know the all of their services problems are fixed uh because apple has a lot of catch-up to do you know uh, especially when you try an Echo, when you try the Google Assistant, uh, it's not a silver bullet to say, we're going to announce an API at WWDC and everything's going to be okay. There's a lot of work to do, and there's a lot of developers to get on board, and there's a lot of things to test. So I feel like they may be working on a, on the speaker device, and I feel like the Siri API has to be coming, it will be coming at WWDC, I feel kind of positive about that. I don't know about the speaker Echo-like device, but I feel like if they do it, it's going to be a music device. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that would be in line with the history of the company. I don't know about the other rumor. I saw another one that says there's going to be a camera that can recognize people walking around their living room so you can say hi. That's kind of creepy. I don't see Apple doing that. Connect, man. That's why I saw the connect us. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the, the connect, and we all know how that played out for Microsoft. So I don't know. I feel like an API is coming for Siri. There's a lot of work to do, and maybe Apple will try to brand it at Siri 2.0, maybe, you know, the new tech from Vocal IQ that they acquired. But the new tech is only is only one part of the problems that Apple is facing. Uh, you can have new tech, but if you don't know how to properly scale and use and get developers on board, uh, that's another matter. Let's talk about this Vocal IQ thing in a moment. I just want to focus on the, the, the speaker for a bit more. So here's my thinking, right? If 
you know, there's a lot of ifs of the implementation of such a thing, but if they were able to make the Apple TV and this series speaker one device, the reason I would be okay with it is because I don't think Apple needs another device that they make. Like, having it, the Apple TV and enhanced Siri being one product would be good because then they don't... I mean, and this is a very different looking and acting Apple TV, by the way, right? Like, it's got a big speaker on it. It now does additional stuff. It would maybe be a good thing for Apple to not have another product line because I think we all felt that maybe they're stretching it out a bit too much. So that might be nice. But I want to just do one other thing. If they do... I'm going to do one of my wild predictions here. If they do have another product, if they create a speaker, I will call it now and say that I think they might call it the iPod. I'm just going to say it Mm. in case it happens. They're not doing that. The iPod? I think they might call it the iPod. I'm just going to say it. Because if if it happens, I look great. If it doesn't, everyone forgets. So I just want to say it. I had the idea the other day and thought it would be kind of cool if they did that. So I think it would be real nice if they called it the iPod because what? it probably it's... will be a music and speaker like music speaker device. Uh, yeah, I guess it's not unusual for Apple to reuse names. I mean, even if you just look at iBooks, for example, uh-huh. used to be a whole nother thing. And yeah, maybe it could be. I just feel like I don't know if there's still room for a mu a, a music device in Apple's kind of product line. But if it is, I feel like it has to be not a portable one because you know yeah, you don't want to replace the iPhone. And so, if it has to stay at home, I don't know if they're gonna call it the i something. Yeah, I think the naming of i something is dead. I just wanted mm. to just want to put yeah. it out there just in case because <laughs> that would be a good one. Just to say, Mike was right eventually. Exactly. Uh, okay. I- my my big issue with the idea that they would merge something like this with the Apple TV is not only, Federico, what you said that the Apple TV is like usually in your living room or wherever your television is, but people have said, and it's including in the chat room and in my email after the article I wrote, saying, oh, why not have like a Bluetooth connected microphone with maybe even a built-in speaker? So like the brain is happening on the Apple TV, but you have a little like handheld thing that you can carry around and... Talk to you. Well, the problem is that's the iPhone. Like, all you've done is make the iPhone again. And also, I know how often, just in a different floor of my house, my watch can't talk to my phone anymore. Yep. And so, so, Bluetooth and Wi Fi, nano help. (laughs) And the the genius of the Echo, and, uh, you know, assumedly the Google Home product will piggyback on this, is that it's completely hands free. And it's just, you know, mine, I think, like, like y'all is sitting in the kitchen, which is, like, the perfect place for it. And so we've talked about this. If I'm washing dishes or I'm cooking or I'm doing something, I can just shout at it, and it does something for me. Like, at night, I have this little routine where I go and, like, lock up the doors, make sure everything's, you know, uh, all closed up. And I just tell Alexa that it's time for my lights to go off. And it turns off the hue lights, which are now our main lights in the front of the house. It's just, like, part of the thing. I don't have to, like go find the Bluetooth-connected remote microphone, right? I don't have to have the television on so the Apple TV can hear me and do things. Uh, it's it's just there uh, already and ready to go. And while, Mike, I agree with you that, like, one more product line is sort of, like, eye-rolling at this point, I think, like, jamming this into the Apple TV is pr- problematic enough where it may be worth the trade-off for another product. And uh, I, for one... Yeah, cause I, I really like the Apple TV. It's our main like entertainment system. And so we're always using it. And so what happens if I tell the Apple TV to do something and it's like playing Netflix for my kids? Like, does it then stop that and tell me, yes, I've done this task? Like the Apple TV is already in use. Like, well, can it be in use in two different ways at the same time? I don't see them solving that in a way that makes any sense. So I think it, I think it will end up being a discrete device uh, for all the, the, pluses that come along with that so let's talk about the other side of this which is the uh, api and enhanced siri so something that federico was mentioning was uh, this vocal iq thing which is apparently a company that apple has acquired which had some mm-hmm. incredible voice technology of some description which has been said that if apple were able to harness the power of vocal iq we will see things unlike we have ever seen before um, i mm. think we've all heard lines like that in the past but 
What do you think about this, then, Federico? Is this what Apple needs? Do they need to boost up the technology as well as just release an API? See, that's what I was trying to get to. Uh, There's many moving parts here. And for sure, improving the way that you recognize conversations, uh, the way that you infer context from conversations, which is what Vocal IQ was trying to be specialized at, that's one key element of the process, you know, to try to get better at understanding what a person means. And if you watch the video of the Vocal IQ, I think his name is Blaze Thompson. I had a video on Max, sorry, so like last week. Uh, it tries to explain this quite well, how to infer context and data points and, you know, how to link together different parts of a sentence and different elements, that was one of the key features of Vocal IQ. And I believe that Apple for sure saw potential in that technology. And that I'm certain that it's needed to, you know, to improve Siri. It has to be better, even better than other services, uh, at understanding a natural conversation, understanding prepositions, you know, uh, links between follow-up questions and answers. And sure, there's some, people called it uh, context uh, uh, inference, I think, maybe. There's some of that in Siri today, but not always. It's inconsistent, and there's not a really strong language model, uh, especially if you look at alternatives today. But I feel like, besides that, there needs to be other elements, other, uh, you know, initiatives from Apple to to build uh, the real Siri 2.0, if we want to call it this way. The developer API is, a, is a, of course, the, the, the obvious candidate here. You need to be able to open up the potential of the new Siri to developers and to say, look, uh, now you can, you can bring your app functionality to Siri and there's this kind of dictionary for comments and queries and here's ways you can localize Siri support for all of the different languages that exist and we want to take as much pain away as possible from you guys uh, so you can just focus on the actions and the tasks and you don't have to worry about the language model too much you don't have to worry about how to you know, uh, format the queries or how to uh, teach users how to ask questions because we take care of that and that's a huge effort that's a, that's a huge initiative on Apple's part and I wonder if we're going to see this API, uh, how exactly are we going to see that from a technical standpoint? My idea is there's going to be something like a Siri kit and developers will have to bundle some kind of Siri extension in their apps and to, you know, it has to support any country that Siri works in, of course, unless, you know, the app is not available in that market. Uh, And there's a lot of, you know, uh, technical points here, but uh, I feel like after a better sort of, understanding of natural language and after a developer API, how do you extend these assistant stuff, this Siri stuff outside of the phone? So of course there's the Apple Watch and having a and having a Siri API on the Apple Watch would be would do wonders because we were talking about you know the fact that for example I don't use apps on the Apple Watch much and that Siri is low. If you can make it faster and if you can make it so I don't need to look at the app. I, if I can talk to the app, I feel like WatchOS apps can can gain maybe a whole new level of functionality just because the assistant that's always on your wrist can now be any app you want. So there can be at any moment any feedback, any action from any app. So of course on the Apple Watch, huge potential there. Apple TV, iPad, possibly OS X, extending all of this Siri API to any platform could truly be like another interface because in uh, when Siri launched uh, five years ago, we were saying, yeah, Siri is the, is the fourth interface of iOS, but it wasn't really that way because it's, you know, of all the limitations that it's got. And if you open it up to every app, on any platform, now that's what I what I would call another interface. Uh, I just don't know if Apple can do all of this at once. Maybe they've been working behind the scenes, you know, like uh, like the reports say, way before the Echo. They've been working on an API. They've been working on you know a separate device and to kind of bring the brains of Siri of a new Siri to any device. I want to see how they do it, you know? I want to see if they do it one device at a time, one platform at a time, or if they just go all the way in, if they say, we're going to have a Siri API, it's going to be available on iOS, watchOS, OS X, and tvOS. Now, that would be really something. 
I think if you're going to do it, you've got to do all of them. I think the same. <laughs> because then otherwise you'll be like, oh, my iPhone has this Siri and my uh, Mac has this Siri, so I can ask this Siri to do one thing. And, you know, you've got to go all of it, right? I think that's the way it has to be. And you've got to go all devices in one in one fell swoop, which will be very difficult to do. And the, the exactly. And then the thing about the, the Siri API is that you need to be careful with the way that you build a dictionary of you know the commands that you want to that you want to ask. Because if I if I ask Siri right now to create a note, for example, it just goes straight to the Apple's app, and it's a discussion that we need to have. If when we talk about the Siri API, we're also talking about changing the default apps of a phone, because otherwise you're always gonna be asking do X in name of the app. And if you repeat that for a bunch of apps every time, sort of like it works on the Alexa, uh, on on the Echo today, I feel like it can be it can be annoying, you know, after a while. If you always need to specify the name of the app and the action that you want to perform, is that how you do it with the Echo? Do you have to ask for specific things? Oh yes, right. So if you want to play a song, if you just say the song name, it will try to find it on Amazon Prime Music, and because that service is terrible, it can't, so it just sits there. But then you have to say, play song on Spotify, and then it will go out to Spotify. And I agree with you, Federico, that does get old and like, you know, every once in a while you'll just forget. And then you end up playing something on Amazon Prime you don't mean to. And so I agree with you there. This this probably has to come with some sort of way to set. When you said default mail client, it also kind of changes the Siri commands around email. So I agree with you. It's kind of a one, two thing. I feel like whilst... I feel like that's, a, that's again like a, something we really want and I don't see it happening, right? Because if you're going to say mail clients and notes apps, the other one is what music service do you want your music to play from? Yeah. Apple is selling a music service. They want you to buy their music service. Apple is a services company. I just can't see it. Like I want it. I really want it because I want to open Chrome links natively. Like yeah. I, I don't want to see Safari. Why do you keep popping up? But I, I just can't see it happening. I feel like it should happen, but I reckon the defaults will be all of Apple stuff, and it will let you ask for another app, but it won't let you choose it. I agree. And there's another point that I want to bring up. Uh, from, based on the report from the, the information, the website, uh, I don't know if maybe they got the details of this wrong or if maybe it's an intentionally wrong leak. I don't know. But they do mention that the Siri API, at least based on their... Oh, Siri just showed up on my phone. Okay, no, not right now, Siri. So, see? Hey, how can I help? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, not now. <laughs> uh, so based on their article, uh, it sounds like a glorified uh, URL scheme launcher <laughs> because they say... Uh, so the Siri will API will launch an app into a specific view to perform the task that the user uh, is asking for. And basically, they make it sound like you ask Siri to do something for you inside of an app, and it takes you to the app to complete that action. And that's basically launching a URL scheme with some content and to perform that action inside of the app. Now, it's perfectly possible that the first version of the Siri API will be like that, but I would be really disappointed if yeah. it's not like what you get with the Apple apps in the Siri interface. Because right now, the whole point... It would be kind of horrific. It would be terrible. Right now, the whole point of using Siri with the Apple apps is you ask for questions. Either you want to retrieve content or you want to create content. And you're shown an interface, a native interface inside of Siri. So you get like a mini reminders list or you get a preview of the calendar and so forth. And you can also create content back into those apps, but without actually opening those apps. And that's the whole point, right? You want to be able to just do stuff with your voice instead of having to confirm by tapping. So if, the, if they do launch a Siri API, and if it doesn't have, uh, let's say, touch-free uh, interaction, that's going to be a real disappointment. So I want to hope that the information got the details wrong. I've seen a couple of people talking about this and saying that like this might all be hidden from the user. And if that's the case, then fine. Like It's just like some weird implementation for like it does something in the background that you don't see, but like the phone is doing something in the application and returns the result. 
which would be really weird. And I feel like there could be a better way to do it than that. But that is the only logical way that I can see this being like, it's just a miscommunication of the way that it works. Because as yeah, you say, if yeah. all it's doing is open an application and pre-filling a text <laughs> box and pressing search, I yes. will be very mad. <laughs> That's basically what they wrote. And yeah. Cause that doesn't okay. feel like a, an API to me. Like it just doesn't feel like one. Yeah. I, I don't think that would be very good. Yeah. <laughs> that would suck so bad. <laughs> You're like, All right, can you can you play me Taylor Swift and then you like watch it open Spotify and type each letter in and then like a, a imaginary <laughs> finger just presses the search box for you. Oh mm. my god, that would suck. <laughs> no, so see, Apple even has a chance to tightly control everything that could go could go on in in the Siri interface because just say, okay, developers, you wanna you wanna do this? Look, you're gonna have to provide this kind of graphical assets and it has to be this size and this color you cannot have crazy interfaces it has to be translucent kind of lists or whatever you cannot have animations so they can set all kinds of limitations for developers uh, because if you look at the the you know to keep it consistent with uh, the existing Siri interface, assuming that's going to be, you know, the, mostly the same design, they can enforce all kinds of guidelines and limitations. It doesn't have to be as crazy as widgets, for example. But all, every developer has a different take on the on the widget design in iOS nine. Doesn't have to be that way. So we'll see. I'm also interested to see whether we'll we'll get a a textual Siri, like the ability to come to to ask Siri stuff by texting, and. Uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, there's a lot of potential there as well. And a lot of people don't get it. Like they say, if you don't want to talk to Siri, why would you text with it? And the the answer is that I want to be able to ask natural language questions without speaking, but also without having to do all the work on my own. So I don't want to go to Warflam Alpha on the website and type out my query precisely. I don't want to look on Google. I just want to text my assistant like if it were a real person, like I'm texting it stuff and say, do this for me. And it replies and it doesn't speak. Now that'd be nice. I agree. I would like the textual series stuff like i type things into spotlight right like i do like currency conversions and things like that but yeah. i would like to be able I, how great it would be to type in natural language to affect the applications that i use right exactly. so like in my imaginary world i would just pull down spotlight and type in my fantastic how appointments right like and it would just go into the app as as i want um, going back to the uh, API and, and the idea of setting default applications, I think one thing that might could potentially point to something like this is if they do the API similar to how they did multitasking when that first launched, right? Like that it starts off with a limited set of things that you can do. So like imagine there are 10 things that the Siri API can do. And there are 10 types of applications that it will work with. Say like note-taking, email, messages, music. If they're able to do that, like I could imagine a kind of a Siri training thing where Siri asks you a bunch of questions like what music service do you want to use? What notes app do you want to use? And you just tell it and then it sets it forever. That's how I imagine like a best case scenario. But I, I just can't. I just can't see them like letting me choose Spotify over Apple Music. Mm. I just don't see it happening. I want to live in your imaginary world, Mike. It's nice, right? Like where we have iPods coming back and <laughs> Siri does whatever we want. Like it feels good, you know? Yes. Very nice. <laughs> it's a nice place to be. All right. I think on that note, we should uh, we should all take a few moments and, and live in my special world, which means that we need to close out the show for today. If you want to find our show notes, head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 93. Thanks again to Backblaze for sponsoring this week's episode. As always, thank you for listening. We love that you tune into the show every week. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with friends. Why not? They might like it too, if you like it so much. If you want to find us online, there's a few places you can do that. It sounded like a threat, but it wasn't. You like it so much, why don't you share it with a friend? Wow. Uh, go find Stephen Hackett online at 512pixels.net. He is at ISMH. Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he writes over at MacStories.net. Federico has some great stuff coming this week, which you should make sure that you're checking out. And I am at iMike, I am one. K-E on the Twitter. We'll be back next time for full-on WWDC predictions and preparation. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.